Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world. Here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to another Work Human Radio. I am your host, Mike Wood. And as I am most times, I am joined by the wonderful Sarah Payne, who is actually conducting our interviews. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Mike. So this week, you talked to Dr. Bob Evans. Now, some of you who have been following the Work Human movement since its early days might remember Dr. Bob. Bob Emmons was at the very first Work Human, right? In Orlando. In Orlando, five years ago. He was there. He is a gratitude expert. He's one of the world's foremost gratitude experts. So did you talk to him about gratitude? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We talked about where the research has gone the last four or five years. And he's focusing a lot more on healthcare these days and how gratitude can help not only with patient experience, but also burnout with doctors and nurses. There's a lot more research coming out on like the physically, how your sleep can be improved by being more grateful. We also talked about how a lot of people oversimplify gratitude. Like, okay, if I just say thank you and I just write in this notebook every day, I'm going to become a better person. (laughs) It's really a lot of inner work. So we talk about that and, you know, what it takes to really reap the benefits of it. So I'm interested with the healthcare part of that because mm-hmm. I forgive me if I'm making this up, but I believe I read somewhere that if you have a positive attitude and you're sick, it will help you get better. I yeah. think that's true. Yeah. And this, I mean, now this links back to gratitude is recognizing that you are receiving gifts from outside of yourself. So it has to do with being vulnerable and that's hard for trained doctors. Like that's not how they're trained. It's hard for anybody. Right. To be vulnerable. Yeah. So that's something that the healthcare industry is exploring. Oh, cool. Well, so it sounds like you have an interesting interview coming up. If you have not registered for Work Human yet and you need to get a little push, it's coming up soon. We would love to see you there. We're going to have George Clooney, Gina Davis, Viola Davis, a bunch of speakers. You can get credits for SHRM. You can get credits for HRCI. It's all sorts, all the credits, all the credits. Yes. <laughs> and you know what? When you go there, you really do meet like minded people that want to make a difference in HR, that want to make work more human. So we hope to see you there. I'll be broadcasting in a glass cube. Um, <laughs> can't wait. to see I, it. I can't wait to see it either. So it's a glass cage of emotion, um, <laughs> glass cage <laughs> of emotion. Come by and say hi if you are going to go to Work Human. But hope to see you there. www.workhuman.com. And here's our interview with Work Human speaker, Dr. Bob Emmons. So first off, Bob, just wanted to welcome you back to Work Human Radio. Thank you, Sarah. It's great to be back with you again. So I can't believe that it's been four years now since we first spoke at the first Work Human, and that was in Orlando. We're right. gearing up for the fifth one now in Nashville. So do you want to just catch us up on what you've been working on since then? Sure. Four years uh, goes by pretty fast, but actually 20 years actually also went by fast. Because 20 years ago, I first started doing my research on gratitude. So while your company's turned 20 years old, my research program has also turned 20 years old. And on the one hand, that sounds pretty impressive, you know, that you stuck with something for 20 years and I'd always kind of moved around a bit on different research topics, different questions would interest me, and I would kind of 
try to till the soil on those topics and then move on. But I've stuck with this now for 20 years, so that sounds good. On the other hand, it's almost kind of embarrassing. It's like after 20 years, we should have learned a lot more, you know? <laughs> we should have all the answers to the mysteries of the human mind when it comes to gratitude. And, and actually, we don't. I mean, we've made some progress, but there's still a lot of work remaining to be done. So that's exciting at the same time. So we've got the basic science, I think, pretty much down, although there's still more and more studies trying to just you know, discern what are the best ways to cultivate, to grow gratitude, as I like to say, and then examining its impact in lots of different domains of life, whether it's you know physical health, mental health, relational functioning, organizational functioning. Right? So there's a lot of work to do, although we have, in fact, made some progress. Well, I think the length of time that we've been studying it speaks to the complexity, you know, something that seems so simple. It really is complex, and I, I've come to grow to appreciate that. The more I study it and write about it and, and talk about it and read about it, there's so many layers and levels to it, you know, and versions and variations on it. We used to think it was so simple. And I think maybe that's why the concept was ignored for so long. People reduced it to just mere politeness, you know civility. Not that that's a bad thing. We certainly could use more mm-hmm. of that, but it was just thought of just to be, you know, just saying thank you, just, just these two words. And uh, I replaced the two words of thank you with my two words, my little slogan, which is gratitude works. Uh, mm-hmm. And that kind of sums up what I've learned in 20 years, that gratitude brings benefits in all spheres of life, I mean, relational, physical, psychological, that gratitude you know, has the power to heal, to energize, and to change lives. And the rest of the story is just kind of unpacking that in all of its, mm-hmm. you know, glorious details. I don't know if you were watching the Super Bowl this weekend, but Google yeah. had the commercial where they showed the top search terms for Google Translate, and one of the terms was thank you. So that, that was interesting. I, I think I missed that. Oh, you did? I, try to, I forget that you're supposed to watch the commercials more so than the game. Certainly this year, I think right. the commercials, although for you guys in the Northeast, I know you're very happy about the outcome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but for me, commercial always means to get up and to get some more food. So I, I think I, some of the good commercials. But it is good to see there's a kind of a global movement going on. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I, you guys have been behind that as well as the science that people are recognizing, you know, the power of gratitude, you know, at home and in individual lives and in relationships and families and in the workplace. So it's mm-hmm. really exciting to see. And, and the science just gets, you know, better and better. I think that's usually the trajectory of how a research program and how a field develops. So that's been very gratifying to see. And you're one of the leaders of the positive psychology movement. And, you know, for our listeners, maybe who aren't as familiar as we are, could you talk about some of the basic tenets of the movement and and why it is important to changing work culture? Sure. So positive psychology also actually began about 20 years ago, quite independently of our research on gratitude, which predated positive psychology, I don't know, by about six months or so. But there was just, I think, a realization of both basic scientists, but also practitioners in the field of psychology. And the field is pretty much split down between those two, those doing basic research and those who are practitioners, you know, and applying the science in their practices, delivering services, and so on, that for too long, psychology had just focused on what was going wrong in people's lives. The focus was on the bad. The focus was on, you know, depression and dysfunction and despair and disease and disappointment, all the terrible Ds, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of progress has been made, certainly on understanding those and certainly on treating mental disorders like depression. But there's also a realization that kind of missing half the puzzle, just eliminating distress, 
Was it helping people to live better lives, lives of well-being, lives of happiness, lives of flourishing, lives of joy? And if we could figure out, you know, how to move people on a scale of, you know, zero to positive 10, that's another very important goal, not just moving them from, you know, minus 10 to a zero on some index of emotional functioning. So that's really what 20 years have been trying to do, trying to identify all the ways in which people's lives can be made better through uncovering concepts like gratitude, like forgiveness, like joy, like hope, and all the things which make life worth living now. And we're trying to, you know, I think unpack those in all their various ways, both in terms of basic research as well as an application. Well, I think a lot of us have read all the benefits of gratitude and like you said, like what makes it life worth living. To you, what's been one of the most surprising benefits of gratitude that you've uncovered? I mean, it's always been, I think, the health findings, you know, that gratitude is good medicine. It's really amazing that the medical community has sat up and taken this seriously. The fact that gratitude makes us, you know, feel better psychologically, that's not that surprising. I mean, for hundreds of years, for centuries, right, people have been saying that gratitude is the royal road to happiness, that if you count your blessings, you're going to be happier, that gratitude is the greatest of the virtues, the secret to life, the key that opens all doors. They always meant that in terms of more of a relational sense, as well as a mental health sense. But to find as the science now is discovering that gratitude works, you know, inside, under the skin, physiologically, that, you know, people recover more quickly from illness and they can practice gratitude. That gratitude can lower blood pressure, can improve immune system function, can facilitate better sleep, more efficient sleep. I don't know about you, but I always need more sleep. I never get enough. And there's at least eight good studies showing that gratitude can improve the quality and quantity of sleep. And now some of the more recent research is looking at real, what we call hard measures, biological, clinical biomarkers, things like markers of inflammation for heart disease, things like stress hormones, right? Even something as complex as telomeres on your chromosomes, which is a good measure of aging, which we know are affected by stress. So if gratitude can short-circuit stress, you know, it has such a wide range of possibilities, ways in which it can improve health. And then there's all the subjective behavior. So when people are grateful, they take better care of their health. They exercise more. They're more likely to eat a healthy diet, less likely to smoke and abuse alcohol. So better health preventive behaviors and less risky behaviors. So all in all, when you add it all up and these, you know, I mean, these findings are coming out on a daily basis, gratitude is good medicine. And you said that the medical community is now taking notice. Um, can you tell us more about, you know, what the yeah. healthcare and healthcare world is doing to kind of integrate the two and to use it almost like a medicine? Well, there has been certainly a recognition that gratitude is central for patient wellness, but also for physician wellness. That's a big movement right now because we know physicians as a group are a very high risk for distress, for depression, for burnout. We see these statistics all the time that, you know, well over half the physicians say they would, if they had to do it again, they would go into a different line of work, you know, which is a little distressing, you know, when you need to go to a doctor and you're thinking you'd rather not right. be here, you'd rather be doing something else. And a lot of it is just, you know, overwork, stress, the, you know, impersonal nature of care right now where doctors and other healthcare providers, you know, spend more time looking at a computer screen than they do looking into the eyes of their patients. And so you can understand how they would be frustrated and at high risk for burnout. So anything which can, you know, contribute to a greater sense of joy, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of purpose, 
there's been a movement in the medical field focusing on physician wellness, physician joy, trying to recover joy in the practice of medicine, which for, I think, for the majority of those who go into the field, that's why they went into the field in the first place. Right. To have that experience, to experience the amazing sense you have when you have a relationship, you know, with a patient that you're able to give care and be appreciated and potentially, you know, make heroic life-changing sacrifices for this person. And how do we recover that? I think that's the question. So whether it's joy or gratitude or a deeper sense of meaning, passion, but one thing for sure is that without a reduction in, you know, stress and burnout and the high-risk behaviors, all the rest of the stuff just seems like a luxury, seems like something you can't afford. You know, you have to first, as they say, stop the bleeding before you can start to focus on some of these better things in life. It sounds like there's a lot of opportunity to bring more gratitude into the healthcare space. And there really is, and there's an appreciation for it. Uh, the question is, you know, how to do it, what's the best way to do it, and to convince mm-hmm. people that are focused on the bottom line that this really is something that is the bottom line, that it's simple, it's sustainable, it's something that everyone can practice, and it's just not well incorporated into the curriculum right from the start, right, into, you know, medical schools and colleagues that I have say, we don't learn how to do this. We don't learn how to deal with patient gratitude or patient ingratitude. When a, a patient wants to thank us, you know, it makes us uncomfortable. How do we best respond to that? So a lot of interesting issues surrounding the, just the interaction, the relationship between the provider and the patient when it comes to grateful expressions. That's interesting. That's a challenge for them when they experience patient gratitude. I would think that the bigger challenge would be patient ingratitude. But well, then, then it is for sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's the other side of the equation, right? Just the whole uh, emotional work that right. goes on between the two is something that many are just you know unprepared for because many are trained technically and so forth. And the other side of the equation is something that maybe is thought is more implicit or learned on the job. But starting to realize more and more how it makes a difference for patient outcomes, clinical outcomes, and obviously for physician well-being and physician wellness as well. So to go back to just the practice of gratitude, I think a lot of people listening, they've heard about the benefits of keeping a gratitude journal, but is it possible to oversimplify gratitude into just, okay, write, write down what you're grateful for, and then you'll get all these benefits? Yeah, if you see it as a, just a tactic or strategy for becoming happier, I don't think it'll work, right? And I've really tried to deal with this more recently, at least within the last couple of years, taking seriously the fact that, yeah, you can have all these lists of steps and things to do, what I call to-do lists or checklist gratitude. And you can have journals, you can write letters of gratitude to people, you can have gratitude accountability partners and share what you're grateful for, you can post your gratitude through social media, you do all these things and they're all fine, they're all good, we should all do them. But I think if that's all we do, they're going to tend to be ineffective. Because see, what happens is that we start to focus on our own gratitude performance. We start thinking about, well, okay, so I know I need to be more grateful. I'm going to work on that today. I'm going to take it on as a resolution for the new year, you know, as people do. And here we are, you know, five weeks, six weeks after the new year, and that one's already been tried and failed at because I think a lot of times the focus is just on ourselves, how we're doing. We focus on our performance, and that can actually undermine our performance. It's like trying to be happy. You just really can't do it because you have to go at it indirectly. And I think the same thing with gratitude. We focus on how we're doing with respect to gratitude. We're not focusing on how we're the receiver of gifts, of benefits, of goodness. We've become so absorbed with our own emotional state and our own performance. It's very hard to be absorbed by the good other people are doing for you. And I think that's the key to gratitude. Take the focus off the self, which for 
lot of us, including me, you know, just doesn't come easily or naturally. It has to be worked at, but it can't be worked at with a focus is solely on how I am doing. I think that's a great point. I'm just thinking about a lot of what content I see on social media. It's like on the surface level, it looks like it's focused on gratitude, but I feel like a lot of it comes from a sense of the image you're giving off to other people. But I think it's important to point out that inner work that needs to happen. I think, though, I mean, it's very typical nowadays, especially you have the virtue signaling, you know, to show that you are a more grateful person or forgiving person or, or so on. Because, you know, social media, while it connects us widely, doesn't connect us deeply. And it's hard to know the, the person's level of gratitude or lack thereof. I think sometimes we just need to do more foundational, fundamental work that really may not have anything to do with gratitude per se, but it, it like levels the playing field or sets the stage for later gratitude. And I think one of those is humility. And humility is another overlooked concept in psychology. And we're learning that it's quite important that just being open to accepting help from others, you know, saying that I don't have all the answers or that I can't do it myself and that I understand what my limitations are, is very freeing, actually. And not only does that make us more open to actually receiving help from others and learning more things, becoming more curious and open to new information, it actually can make us more grateful because then people are helping us. They're providing us with things we can't provide for ourselves. And I mean, after all, that's where gratitude begins. It's a virtuous cycle of positivity. That's right. And uh, joy is a topic that I'm also looking at right now. One of those, again, a very, very much neglected topic in psychology, even in positive psychology, even though there's a happiness industry, you know, out there that there's no limit to the number of different books and programs and principles and seminars and workshops on how to become happier in 30 days or 10 steps, seven secrets, three hours if you're in a hurry. Mm -hmm. But happiness is not the same thing as joy. And so we're trying to figure out what is joy? How can you measure joy? And how can you connect it to things like gratitude, basically, but also how it can connect to all sorts of life outcomes, whether it's relationships, whether it's organizational functioning, whether it's personal, physical health. So Kind of using gratitude as the center on a wheel, and then you have all these spokes coming out. One would be humility, one would be joy, and there might be others we haven't identified yet. But that's kind of the direction that we're moving. And we've gotten some very good feedback from people saying, yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about it before, but joy is really, really important. It's a basic fundamental emotion. We don't know much about it. And I think that there's a tremendous potential there to explore this concept in more depth. And I think it speaks to something much deeper than just happiness. And definitely looking forward to seeing more of your research coming out on that topic. Well, thank you. We're excited about it. We think people are hungry for joy. I think that we settle for happiness because we don't understand joy. Maybe it's more personal, private, subject, hard to talk about. But we also Mm -hmm. know that for many people, it makes life worth living. So we're very excited to have you back at Work Humans for our fifth anniversary next month. I'm really looking forward to it. (laughs) Can you... Give our listeners a quick preview of what you'll talk about. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about what we've learned really in the science of gratitude, lessons learned, right? And sometimes some of those lessons are quite surprising, things that I hadn't expected at first, and some of those that are also counterintuitive that maybe go against our expectations. And so, you know, I think gratitude, like happiness, and some of the other topics that are studied in positive psychology, sometimes the findings are in accordance with what we expect or what people have said through the centuries or grandmotherly, grandfatherly wisdom, you know, but sometimes they can be kind of surprising. These surprising findings are the ones that sometimes challenge our assumptions and our conceptions of what gratitude is and how it works, but it doesn't always work that way. So there'll be a few surprises and 
what I've learned and the messages, what we can take from the science of gratitude and apply it to well-being and organizational outcomes in the workplace. Well, I'm personally today very grateful to have had this conversation with you, and I look forward to seeing you next month. Thank you, Sarah. So do I. Pleasure's mine. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Bob. If you want to see business leaders, culture keepers, and industry experts come together to share the latest research and ideas for making work more human, you need to be at Work Human March 18th through the 21st in Nashville. Visit workhuman.com to see the full lineup of speakers and reserve your spot in the number one conference of 2019. 